Good morning to you. My name is Kevin, and um, my wife and I, Keely and I, have been here for almost seven years, uh, which is pretty short from a York County perspective, but long from a Norman perspective. Um, our, our life sort of seems to have been divided into two phases. The first 10 years of our marriage, we were like on the go, it seemed, all the time, like never in one place for very long. And that was what God had for us, a lot of movement, and yet the last seven years have, have been here, which has been really sweet for us, because we can feel like this is home, and that we belong to you and you belong to us has been really good for us. Um, so I'm really grateful to be with you today. We're going to um, <clears throat> continue in our series together, but I don't know uh, maybe what season of life you're in. Maybe you're in a, a go season or you're in a stay season. <clears throat> in our house right now, we are in a volleyball season. <clears throat> so my oldest daughter, uh, she's in eighth grade, and she uh, is on a club volleyball team, which means a lot of volleyball tournaments seemingly every weekend. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were up at, well, not we, my wife and my daughter were up at 6.30, and we did not get home until about 8.30 that night from a volleyball tournament. So it's a long day, but I don't want you to think I'm complaining, because I actually really love volleyball. Uh, I grew up playing a ton of volleyball in the backyard, which is mostly chaos, punctuated by moments of glory. Uh, every once in a while, you get a pass and a set and a hit. Uh, but for the most part, backyard volleyball is just rotating through chaos. And then I got to go to college and try out for a, a club volleyball team, which is, is an elegant game that I learned uh, only after much toil. So it, it turns out that in volleyball, there's positions. Like you rotate around the court, but then once the ball's in play, you go to a position and you play that position. And each position is diverse, right? It needs a unique skill set to be good at that position which is great for a guy who's maybe not so tall and maybe not able to jump very much, and that's me. So in volleyball, I could be a really good passer and still contribute to the team, right? Because in volleyball, every player has to be engaged in every point. There's no way a single star can carry a volleyball team. You need three hits on a side, and that one person can only do one of those, maybe two if they're really good. So I, I learned to really love volleyball for this, this reason, that, that it's just a, a great way to encourage people to really use their gifts. And it's really a lot like the church, because the church needs a diverse body, a diverse set of gifts, personalities, interests, and passions, right? If we had 400 Bryans, that would be an amazingly hilarious church, <laughs> right? I would love to see it. I think it would be great. Right? Or, or 400 Asas, which would be a much quieter church, I think, and probably get along very well. Um, but it would not be as effective. That's not the way the body of Christ is designed to be. We, design, we are designed to need each other to do what God has for us to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about discovering our spiritual gifts. Because we each have unique and diverse talents and gifts and passions that are to be used for the body and the glory of Christ. And we're going to do that out of the book of Ephesians today. So if you uh, grab a Bible, I encourage you to, um, to keep it open because we're going to work our way through the text today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't uh, have a Bible with you today, you can grab the one in front of you. It's on page 977 if you're looking for it. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at the first 16 verses. Uh, if you yourself actually don't own a Bible, please just take that black one in front of you home. You can read it on your own and we'll replace it, no problem. But I'm going to ask Earl Peace. He's going to come, and uh, we're going to read these first 16 verses from Ephesians chapter 4, and then we'll dive in together. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, our one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may be no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we all grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with it, it is equipped when each part is working properly and it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Life with God for the mission of God. Thank you, Earl. <clears throat> Would you pray with me? Our great Father in heaven, we come before you now and ask that you would teach us from your word. We ask that you make our hearts soft, that your uh, seed would be planted and take root and produce fruit. Lord, we ask that, um, that you would honor the promise that your word will not go out and return void. And Lord, we, we pray that what is not from your word would fall to the ground and die, but that you would teach us and make us more like your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are in the middle of a series right now called Demonstrating the Gospel. It's kind of the um, corollary to the fall series that we had, which was preaching the gospel. And so, um, you know, we preach the gospel and we also demonstrate the gospel. And what, what our series is going to be focused on really is, is kind of the, the person and working of the Holy Spirit which might be um, new territory for many of us, depending on uh, the church background that you have. 
So um, last week, Brian talked about uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and really the stuff of the Spirit, right? The spiritual gifts uh, that, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14 and what it means to press into life with God and how we um, engage in life in the Spirit as a result. So if you missed that, go back and listen to the podcast, really excellent stuff. But as we um, move forward through this passage today, just by way of outline, uh, I want, want you to know that where we're headed is we're going to talk about, firstly, your spiritual gifts, that I, that I think the text is saying that, that you have uh, a gifting in the Spirit, and that those gifts are really to be expressed in community, and not just for the sake of the community, but really for the mission of God. So th- those three points are where we're headed, so if you lose track, hopefully uh, you can remember those and try to figure out where we're at. So let's just kind of walk through this passage verse by verse and see what Paul might have for us as we go. Unfortunately, he starts by saying, I therefore. And therefore is a tough word because it means that Paul's referencing stuff he's already said. Now, I can't go back and read all of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, but it's important that we understand that what he is about to say is only built on the foundation of Ephesians 1 through 3. Ephesians is a book with six chapters. It's really divided in two parts. So Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about who we are. It is just an explanation and um, just going on and on about the gospel of Jesus, that, that who we are in Christ, that we were dead and made alive through faith, that we really had nothing that we could offer on our own, but that he came to us and offered us salvation by grace. And it's a result of that reality that we get to live it out. So Ephesians 1 through 3 is the foundation and 4 through 6 is the outworking of it. And it's absolutely crucial that we don't forget it, right? In the middle of a practice series, we talk a lot about practices or things that we can do, but we, we must never forget that sort of who we are and, and, and who we are in Christ is the foundation that produces it, right? We are a new creation, therefore you live like one. Religion would say, do all this stuff so that you can be accepted by God. And the gospel is the complete opposite. You are accepted by God, therefore live like it. So that's an important sort of precursor. Everything that we say today is built on that foundation. So if you haven't really let that sink in, I don't want you to hear, oh, I just need to go do all this stuff. You need to sit in the reality of who you are in Jesus and let this kind of be the bubbling outflow of it. So Paul's going to say, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk in the way that would produce that life. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. These are the natural outflows of a heart that is saturated with the love of God, right? When we are just overtaken by the grace of Jesus offered to us sinners, then we're going to be humble. We're going to be gentle. We'll be patient with one another. We'll be bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. And then in verse four, Paul says, There's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father through all who is over all and through all and in all. All this corporateness, it's one, 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 right? There's universals, one of everything. And then in verse seven, there's a surprising word. He says, but grace was given. That seems like a surprising word to me. I feel like it would have been more appropriate for him to say, and Right? There's one Lord, there's one faith, one baptism, one God, one spirit, and grace was given to all. But he doesn't say that. He says, but 
Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What in the world is Paul talking about? I hope somebody knows. No, it's me. Um, So this phrase, grace was given, right? What what does Paul mean by this? And thankfully... um, he uses this phrase earlier in Ephesians. I try to make a practice if I'm going to preach a, a text of, the, of a book, I'll read the whole book to kind of get the context. And there's this same phrase exists earlier in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 3, we'll start in verse 7, but in verse 8 is where he uses the phrase. So if you turn the page, it says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints... And here's the phrase, this grace was given. That same exact phrase that he references in Ephesians 4, it says, this grace was given. And what does he say it is? The grace given to him was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is interesting because you don't think about it necessarily as a grace. We think about grace as the salvation we have in Christ. But this is a grace given to Paul. This is an identity. This is a role for him in the kingdom. This is what Paul is supposed to do with the rest of his life in Christ, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And if you read the book of Acts, he is laser-focused on this. It's, it's kind of amazing. At one point in the book of Romans, he says, I had to leave this region because there was no work for me to do. Like, of course there's work for him to do in terms of, like, building up the church and things like that. But he is so focused on his role, which is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, that he understood this is who I am in Jesus. And I'd like to argue to you that this is the grace given to each one of us. When he says in Ephesians 4, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, this is the idea, that that there is an identity, there's a role, there is a spiritual gift that God is giving to you and uniquely to you. And that it's important that we discover it. So let's talk about just verse 7, some of the aspects of this grace. Right? So, uh, first and foremost, there's grace given to each one. If you are a member of Christ, if you are um, a believer in Jesus, then you have a gift. You have a role. You have an identity in the kingdom. There are no uh, people on the sidelines in God's volleyball game. Right? If you, if you are a member of Christ, you have a grace given to you, and you have to walk it out. That grace is given to each one. That's pretty clear from the text. Okay, Uh, how about second? How about it's according to the measure of Christ's gift? Ephesians uh, 4, 7, he says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So that means it might be different for you than it is for me, than it is for Brian or Asa or anybody. And that's difficult for us because we are often good at comparing, right? We look around and we say, I wish I had that one. That one's kind of fun. That one's public. They get really, really high praise for their gift. My gift doesn't seem like that. But it's according to Christ's gift. So if you have a problem with your gift, you take it up with Jesus. You can't take it up with me or Brian or anybody else, right? His grace is given to you, for you, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then lastly, we need to understand that this grace is given to each one. You don't produce it. The grace given to you, the the spiritual gift, the identity, the role in the kingdom that you have is given to you. It must be received. You cannot produce it on your own. So I want to stop and ask, what, what is your gift? Do you know it? Do you feel like God has given it to you? Have you discovered it yet? And I would guess that for many of us, there's a vague sense of, well, I, 
I'm sort of wired this way. I get excited about these sort of things, but I don't know it yet. And, and that's okay. I've um, been growing in this even myself. You know, I've been following Jesus for a while, um, but I'm still growing and learning in this. And I've been really challenged um, over the last six to nine months by a guy named Jamie Winship, if you want to write down a name of somebody to go search podcasts. or um, He actually has a book called Living Fearless that I would recommend. But Jamie Winship is a guy who leans heavily into this language and idea of, of your unique identity in the kingdom. And um, I've, I've been really challenged by his teaching, and I'm borrowing certainly very heavily from this as we, as we go on, because Jamie would say that, that really you need to ask God about your unique identity in the kingdom, and that you need to find it. But in his book, he quotes this guy, David Benner, who says this about finding our true self is really um, <clears throat> a good starting point. Right? He says, we do not find our true self by seeking it. Rather, <clears throat> we find it by seeking God. And this is really the starting point because you know, the, the self-actualization movement, the self-empowerment, there's a, there's a lot of uh, self-help books out there about finding your true self. But that's, that's an inward look, and this is not where uh, Jesus would have us look. Jesus would have us look at him and say, Lord, I want to receive from you what you have for me. So how do we seek God? <clears throat> and how do we seek God really for the purpose of finding out who we are in his kingdom? Well, Jamie would say it's, it's really um, the same way that we would seek God from start to finish throughout the Bible. You see confession, repentance, and transformation. So... Confession, right? Confession we think of as saying, I'm sorry, but, but really it's deeper than that because what we need to understand is that we live out of false identities. Right? We live out of these false identities produced um, by fear and guilt and shame, and they, they lead us to death. Right? They, that is the, the separation that causes sin is as a result of living out these false identities. And so we need to start with confession to tell the truth to God about who we are and what we actually believe about ourselves and about him. So confession is not, okay, God, I'm sorry. I did this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But confession is, you know, God, I fear that if I lost my job, I would really be of very little value. That I, I like my reputation, and if I didn't have a reputation, I would be pretty worthless. Or, God, you know, I'm driven really by, by what people think about me. And if, if these people didn't think well of me, I'm not sure that I would really have any reason to live, right? Those are confession statements. Those are getting to the root of, of our false identities. Maybe it's, God, I don't, I've followed you, but I don't even really believe that you exist. I haven't really experienced your power and presence in a real way. And it's only after we get to tell those truths that we get to, to lay them before the Father and say, okay, Lord, here is the truth that I'm sadly living in. I want to I want to exchange that lie for the truth of who you are and who you say that I am. That's repentance, church. I mean, that, that, that's true confession that leads to true repentance where we can stop and say, God, okay, what is the truth about me? And we can hear what God says about us from his word and from his Holy Spirit. I've been really challenged uh, about hearing God's voice because... Um, Jamie would say that hearing God's voice is as simple as the free flow of thoughts that come to your mind when you ask God a question. And at first, my heart was like, that can't be right. (laughs) That's too easy. That's too simple. I'm too sinful to trust the voices in my head when I ask God a question. Yet, if we stop 
And we say, Lord, would you silence the enemy? Would you silence the voices in my head? And would you speak to me? If you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you have the mind of Christ, why wouldn't God speak to you in that way? The free flow of thoughts that come to your mind when you ask God a question. So you ask God, God, who am I in your kingdom? And he, boom, he gives you an answer. You write it down. And you say, is that true? Is that true about me? It's a radical idea. But I believe that this is part of the way that we receive from God our identity in his kingdom. But it's not only done individually, it can be done in community. And I think in many ways it's really best done in a community of people that you know well. Right? So now you come to your community group and you, you're leaning into, okay, yeah, I, I've seen this in you and you feel like God is telling you this. I've seen that and I want to encourage that. Right? I want to help you live out your identity. How can we do that? How can we encourage you to live out what God has called you to? How can we get you to express your gift in the community that you're in? That's a powerful way to experience life. So you get confession, repentance, and that's the transforming nature of life in the kingdom of God. It's funny, Paul, when he uh, is persecuting the church, his name is Saul, or he goes by Saul at the time. He's on the road and he's going to Damascus to arrest Christians and Jesus stops him. Boom! Paul, stop it! What are you doing? You're persecuting me. And he's like, oh, well, okay. So you need to go to the city. He's not told anything else. Just go to the city and wait. And then the spirit goes to Ananias, who lives in the city, and says, hey, Go find this guy, Saul, and I want you to lay your hands on him. And Ananias is like, um, who? That guy? I know what that guy does. That guy puts us in prison, right? He, he's, he's bad news. And the Spirit tells Ananias, well, Paul is my chosen instrument to reach the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. Paul's identity is given to Ananias to give to Saul. Right? And it's, it's often this way for us in the community of faith that, that we express it and we understand it better in community than we can on our own. So do you know your gifting? Do you know your identity in the kingdom? Have you stopped and asked God, who am I? That's the first point for today. But I, it's not really um, fair to stop there because what, what Paul's going to get at in the rest of this text is that it's not for us. Right? The, our gifting is uh, unique to us, but it's for expression in the kingdom, uh, in the body of Christ. So let's look back at our passage in Ephesians chapter 4 here. We'll start in verse 11. He's going to talk about some of the people who receive these unique callings of apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, kind of the leaders in the, in the church. And then he says that, that God gave those to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, right? The reason we have these unique giftings is for maturity, for the body to grow into the full stature of Christ. Can you, can you picture it, right? The body that grows into the full stature of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You have a gift not just for you. You have a gift for the body. And this is an important part if we get to verse 16 here, that, or verse 15, where we are to grow into Christ, into the head of the body, but that the body is held together by each joint with which it is equipped. Right? That's you and that's me. But the, the word in the Greek is ligament. Ligaments are like super strong connective tissue in your body. It's really the strongest tissue that you have that's not bone, right? It's, it's strong enough that it, it is still flexible, but it will keep your bones attached to each other. That's what ligaments do is attach bone to bone. That's how strong our bonds are supposed to be, that we are joined and held together uh, by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. This, this part really grabbed me as I was studying this text. Because what it means is that I need you and you need me. Right? The body cannot grow apart from every member working properly. And so I have a responsibility to you and you have a responsibility to me. You can't mature if I'm not engaged. And even scarier, I can't mature if you don't engage. Right? This is an important principle for us because this is not how most of us approach church. It's easy for us to think about this in a medical term for a body, right? If, if one part of the body is not working right, then it's very easy for the whole body to fall apart. Okay, I, I dabble in medicine, as I say, and um, this part's easy, right? If I sprain an ankle, so now I can't really walk very well on this side, so I'm going to limp. And I'll carry the rest of my weight on the other side. So I'm favoring this, and now this hip is starting to bother me. And now I get, like, really bad low back pain. So now I'm, like, feeling real terrible. I can't exercise, so I'm miserable. Keely will tell you that if that doesn't happen. And so I'm miserable, and I'm in pain. So how do I dull that pain? I'll eat, right? Some of us eat junk food or French fries or ice cream, right? And so now I'm putting on weight. And so now I'm miserable, and I'm in pain, and now I'm overweight, and so I'm, I'm developing 15 or 20 extra pounds. My blood pressure goes up. My heart has to work harder to keep up with that demand. Maybe my pancreas can't handle it, so I get some insulin resistance. Right? One part of the body wasn't working right, and now the whole body's falling apart. Right? And this is the same in the church. That if you don't contribute what you're supposed to contribute in your gifting and your identity with what God has called you to do, the whole body cannot function properly that we will not reach maturity, we will not reach that full stature in the fullness of Christ. And this is like just totally opposite from the consumer mindset to church, right? The American church says, well, I don't, I don't like that music. I don't like the music of this church. I'll go down the street. Or that guy said something I didn't really agree with, so I'm out. I'll go somewhere that they say what I like, right? Or maybe even like I didn't get invited to that social thing, and I'm hurt by that but I'm embarrassed to say that I'm hurt by it, so I'll just leave rather than engage in difficult relationship and, and true community with somebody. It's important for us to, to adopt the biblical mindset to church. It's why like a, a membership Sunday is great, to recognize that, that we're committed to each other, we belong to each other. That might cause some pain, but it's important that we step into that reality. So I want to ask, are you engaged in the body? Are you operating as God would have you for the sake of the body? Are you using your gifts? I don't think it's an accident, but as I was uh, preparing for some of this message, I was also reading a book I got for Christmas. Uh, it's an interesting book called The Wager. It's about a ship from the 1740s, a British naval ship called The Wager. 
And um, it, they end up shipwrecked off the coast of Chile, and it's this, really a story of survival and endurance. It's funny, my mother-in-law has gotten me books like this for the last like three or four years for Christmas, like really crazy endurance survival stories. I don't know what she's trying to tell me about marriage to Keely. I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like being married to her is like scurvy at all. <clears throat> um, it's really a delight. So I don't know, maybe she's preparing me for something, I'm not sure, but it's my mother-in-law who gets me these books. Anyway, this book is fascinating, um, mostly because like we just don't get how easy our life is right now. Like it's not that long ago chronologically, like 250-ish years, our lives are amazing. Like we should just pause and be like, wow, our lives are really great. Because life was hard, like life was really, really, really hard back then, and it's not that long ago. So I was shocked, um, as, as part of the introduction to the book, they have to help you understand what life on a ship is like in the 1740s. So they go through life on this ship and it is just so complex. Like I would never, I just never understood how many different people it takes to keep a ship like this moving. So you have obviously like the officers, right? Like there's captain and all the lieutenants and all the way down. Uh, but then you have people like the, the helmsmen steering the ship or you have navigators, right? There's no GPS. So they're looking at the stars to figure out their latitude. They're dropping things in the water and counting how long it takes for them to go. And they're trying to figure out where they are on planet Earth because if they like mess that up, they're going to hit rocks and sink like they did, right? They have like people like uh, gunners to man the guns. Like there's like an actual Navy ship. So if they have to fight, they got to be ready for that. And then there's, there's people like carpenters, right? They had to bring carpenters on the ship because the ship is literally falling apart around them as they sail the ship across the ocean. So they're rebuilding the ship as they go. Same thing with like sail makers. They had a whole team of people just to make the sails as they're being disintegrated by the wind, right? They have rope makers on board because you couldn't bring enough rope that was healthy. You had to make it as you went along. It's crazy, right? They had livestock managers because if you don't have refrigeration, you're just going to bring your food alive and kill it along the way, I guess. I mean, it's just a totally different way of life. There's surgeons, right? There's a, a guy in charge of the money. There's, uh, there's a guy who, uh, oh, I can't remember now. But like literally so many parts to this puzzle. And it was such a great example because there's just no wasted space on a boat. So you're not gonna bring anybody who's superfluous. Every man had to be engaged on every shift for that ship to work. And it's really the same as the church. Right? If, if the, the gunner one day was like, I'm really just not into this. You know, like, I don't, I'm not feeling it. I'd rather just scroll Instagram in my hammock. Right? If he's like, I'm not going to tie down the guns because I, I don't need to. And then the ship hits a swell and the gun goes through the side of the ship and it sinks. It's gone. It's over. Right? The rope maker's like, you know what? I don't like making ropes anymore. I'd rather drive the ship. So I'm just going to wait till there's an opening up there. And then, like, all the ropes are disintegrated and guys are falling off the top masts and they die, right? You cannot ever slack off in what you have to do on that ship. And it's the same in the church. Like, we all have to be engaged in every capacity that God has gifted us with for the sake of the church. It's an important reality that we have to, to settle in and sink in and say, am I doing that? Am I engaged? But just like a ship, the, the ship is not really on the water for itself, right? That ship was sent with a purpose, really to capture a Spanish treasure ship that they weren't ever sure even existed. Uh, but the, the Navy ship is there on a mission from the King of England. And it's the same with the church, that, that what we are here for is not just the health of the body. 
right? It can, it can be tempting for us to feel like, man, this is great and I love this. We, have, we feel close, we're in community with each other. This is really comfortable and safe. But the goal of the church is not for a happy, healthy church. And this is an important reality for us to, to realize as we close here. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says that God, Christ gave these uh, apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is an important reality because really the, the church only exists because God has a mission on this earth. Right? I'm, I'm slowly stepping into the role of elder here at this church since January, and part of that uh, has been reading a book that Brian gave the elders called Eldership and the Mission of God. And there's a quote in that book from another guy named Christopher Wright who wrote a book called The Mission of God. And this quote has been um, tumbling around in my soul as I've considered it. Christopher Wright uh, says, It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. The church is not the end point, right? When Jesus left, he said, you need to go. You need to make disciples of all the nations. You need to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And oh, by the way, the best way to accomplish that is to make a church. Right? The, the reason the church exists is for the mission of God, not the other way around. The mission of God is not just that we have a happy, healthy church. And it's, it's this reality that Paul's getting at in Ephesians 4. He says, He gave the apostles, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The saints. Equip the saints for work of ministry. He does not say, equip the saints to have really good jobs, to financially support those who are doing the work of ministry. That's often our approach in the American church, is I'll just, I'll just pay the people to do the ministry. That's just not the biblical approach to ministry, right? Equip the saints, that's you and me. That's everybody here in this room. Anybody who follows Christ is called to ministry. Notice also that he does not say equip the saints for the leisure of ministry, right? Sometimes it might feel like work. That's not a problem. That's not, doesn't mean it's not ministry, Right? It's not opposing grace to work hard. It's opposing earning. Right? We, we don't earn anything from God, but we, we do work, our, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But what does Paul mean by ministry? Because we should stop to ask, you know, if, if that's what we're called to, the work of ministry as we walk out our identity in the kingdom and in the, in the body, what is ministry? And it's, it's good probably to let Paul define it for us. So if you have a Bible, turn it to 2 Corinthians because this, this ministry is profound if you really think about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, Paul is, is talking about um, the beauty of the gospel. You know, I, I quoted it, uh, paraphrased it a little earlier. In verse 17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And then in verse 18 uh, of chapter 5, he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
God has entrusted to us the, me- the message of reconciliation, that this is our ministry, that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation is a profound reality that we must come to grips with. Jesus could appear to each one of us. He could appear to everyone on earth and, and make the, the truth known and say, you can follow me or not. But he doesn't do that. He left his disciples on earth to spread the message that we would literally be his ambassadors. That's the next verse in that, in that chapter five, that we are the representation of Christ to the world around us. That's crazy. Like that doesn't make any sense. Why would God choose us to be the ministers of reconciliation to those around us? And yet that's the reality that we have to come to grips with. So are you engaged in the work of ministry? Are you using your gifts your identity, the role that God has you in the kingdom, are you engaging it for the work of ministry in reconciling a a broken world to the Father through Jesus? I think it's important for us to wrestle with these questions. And as we close, I'll invite the worship team up. We're gonna respond through song, but I want you to to pause and to say, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? And maybe wrestle with these questions. What does God call you in his kingdom? Right? That he has a unique identity for you, but you have to receive it. There is nobody in the Bible who came to God and told him what he's going to do. You have to receive it from the Lord. What does God call you in his kingdom? Or second, are you engaged in the body for the maturity of the body? I need you. You need me. Are we engaged? Or thirdly, how are you engaging in the ministry of reconciliation to those around you? God has you in a unique spot. Are you engaging in the work of ministry of reconciliation to those around you? And what we'll find, church, is that that really all of this work is empowered by the Holy Spirit, that it's animated and empowered by the Holy Spirit in us. That that phrase in uh, Ephesians 4.16 when he says, when each part is working properly... That working is really reserved uh, in the New Testament for the supernatural working of the Spirit. That this is not something we produce on our own. That we'll find that as we delve further and further into the mystery of who God is, that his working will produce this in us. So I invite you to engage those questions with the Spirit now. And as as you do, if you feel like, man, I I need to move. I need to do something to acknowledge what God is doing. And I want to pray... You can always come to this side of the altar. There's going to be um, nobody to bother you here. This is just you and God. You can interact with the Father. Um, but maybe you need to move, and that's important for you. Or you can come to this side, and if you do, uh, people will come and, and want to pray with you. Again, this is something that we do in community with each other. So if that's where your heart is at and you feel like, man, I really could use some prayer, you can come to this side of the altar, and folks will come and pray with you. But I encourage you to do some work with, with the Spirit now as we engage. So let's pray. Jesus, we are humbled by um, what you've done for us. Lord, that you would leave us as your ambassadors here. It doesn't make any sense to us, and yet we want to walk faithfully in it. And so we pray that you would speak to us now Your servants are listening, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.